this is hard. Like, I, I got to stop eating this. I got to stop drinking this. I got to work out. I got to do this. You're like, oh, you know what? If I do half as good, then I'm happy. It's better than where I would start. Mm-hmm. And that's what a lot of people use that same mentality with their product research. So they start with a certain standard. Welcome back to Young Smart Money with me, your host, Apple Creator. Today, we're sitting down with Joshua Crisp. This dude is a seven-figure Amazon seller, a seven-figure real estate investor, and all in all, somebody who's doing some very, very big things online, and that's a message that I would love to share with you guys today. So Joshua's got a really amazing, amazing story where he came from some really, really tough times, okay? This dude was making minimum wage, literally sifting through garbage with his hands um, while he was trying to raise a family of two kids. Um, while his wife was out of work. So he really had his back to the wall and he really had to make a change. Something had to give. He, he really wanted to provide for his family and, and create a better life for the people around him. So that is when he got involved in the world of Amazon FBA. From there, made nearly a million dollars in his first year. That is net. That is not gross. Okay, net. Next year, went on to make over $2 million net and then went on to invest into real estate and get involved into apartment complexes. All right. So this dude is doing some really, really big things and he's got some really amazing strategies to share with you guys in this podcast. Okay. Two of the biggest things that he's going to share with you are first, the three pillars of success. Okay. The three pillars that that you need to apply into any area that you go into. Okay. These three pillars are, are so, so important. They're things that I implement every time I start a new project. Every time I'm bringing myself back to like, why am I doing something? I always come back to these three pillars. The second thing is an Amazon FBA strategy that is not very well known. Okay. I've talked to dozens of people in the Amazon FBA space and I haven't heard this one time. Okay. This, but this is a really, really valuable uh, product launch strategy that I don't hear people talking about. So I really wanted to have Joshua on to share this strategy with you guys because I found it very valuable myself as someone who's not even involved in Amazon, but it's just a really, really valuable way to launch products on a budget. Okay. If you don't have a couple thousand dollars to launch a new product, this strategy is going to show you exactly how to do that with only a couple hundred dollars and really be able to test many, many different products at the same time. So without further ado, we're going to welcome Joshua Crisp on the podcast or wherever you are. If you're walking the dog, if you're at the gym, whatever you are doing, I want you guys to sit back, relax, plug in and enjoy this episode of Young Smart Money. All right, Joshua, welcome to Young Smart Money. How are you doing today? Fantastic, man. Glad to be here, brother. Absolutely. It is my pleasure. So our listeners got to hear a little bit about you in the intro for this episode, but for those of them that aren't super familiar with you and what you're currently doing right now, could you give us a quick like 60 to 90 second intro as to what Joshua Crisp is currently doing at this point in time? Absolutely, man. So my primary focus is e-commerce, Amazon to be exact. So I'm a seven-figure Amazon FBA private label seller. And kind of like the second thing that we do is uh, real estate. So uh, just the whole elaborate um, scale of things that we're doing is we generate all of our income with Amazon. We roll it all into real estate, into primary holding uh, apartment buildings and fix and flip stuff like that. So we keep the whole wheel uh, rotating. Awesome. I love it. I'm super stoked to dive into both of those things because both Amazon FBA and real estate are things that I get help by, by, by um, followers on, on the daily people asking questions. Um, so I have a lot of, a lot of stuff that I'm, that I'm curious to hear your thoughts on. So I, I always like to start the episodes though, by flashing back to uh, like your middle school and high school years. I'm always curious because we had a younger listener base. Um, so talk to us about that earlier stage in your life. Were you somebody who was very into sports? Were you into music? Were you getting into entrepreneurship? Like what did that time period look like for you? 
Yeah, so starting out, man, believe it or not, I wasn't much into sports or anything like that. Um, what I did do when I was younger is I did skateboard a lot hmm. and uh, for several years. And uh, I got into semi-competitive and oh. uh, did some paintballing and jacked my knee up, had knee surgery. So that was pretty much it. Wow. And, um, you know, going in from middle school into high school, um, you know, I ended up dropping out first month of my sophomore year and really going into this thing. Um, I've got two kids, so I was a dad at an early age, so it kind of forced me into to the uh, grind mode. And unfortunately, starting out, like, I wasn't able to get a good job, right? Like, I didn't have a high school diploma. obviously didn't have a college degree. Yeah. I didn't have much guidance and stuff. So from there, I went to a temp agency, Spartan Staffing, and ended up working as a temp agent, uh, working at a recycling plant for minimum wage. So that's, that's, the, that's the whole story there. Wow. So it was dropping out to support your family? Yeah, it was more like, it was like a combination of both, right? So not only like I couldn't really focus, it didn't feel like school was for me, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, with the family and everything involved, it was, it was kind of a combination of both. And um, mm -hmm. I dropped out, like I always had like this hustle spirit, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, we would, we would uh, like play cards or like uh, at that time, tech decks, like when I yeah. was younger, tech decks were huge. So I was always like trying to get the tech decks that were, exclusive and always try to hook them up with, you know, customize them and sell them and stuff. So I always had the entrepreneur uh, spirit, but I really didn't know it. You know, I just thought it was just hustling stuff to make extra money. So. Yeah, for sure. So, so you got to this temp agency, you're working at this recycling plant for minimum wage. Um, where did you sort of go from there? Yeah. So that, that was rough, man. That was like the bottom point of my life. And I always tell people, like, I remember it like vividly. Um, at that yeah. point we were finally able to get into a one bedroom apartment of a second floor apartment. Um, my oldest son, Luis at the time slept in the one bedroom, the living room, we put a shower curtain up in me and my wife, uh, slept in there. She became pregnant with my second son, uh, Jeremiah at the time. So she stopped working and it was just really rough, man. That was like the bottom point of my life. And, uh, I remember like I was working as hard as possible, trying to get as much hours as possible. And it was just, I was making minimum wage. Um, I would volunteer, like I would volunteer at the Salvation Army, try to get extra canned goods, bread, whatever I could, like uh, toys for Christmas for my kids. Like I would go help out at the center township, power wash sidewalks and paint railings to get vouchers. Like it was the really bottom point of my life. And I remember asking like, like almost to my knees asking God, like, why is this happening to me? Like, what, what did I do to deserve such a, a fucked up life? Right. And I'm always telling people now, like for any, any of you guys that may be listening right now, may be in that point, like nothing seems to be going your way. Or you're like, man, what do I do next? Or nothing is working out. Or I don't see how any future can come from where my current situation is. Not only is your current situation, not your final destination, but understand that life happens to us or excuse me, life happens for us and not to us. So I didn't mm -hmm. understand that. I'm like, why is this happening to me? It was happening for me. And before we transition, I'll leave you guys with this, right? Like, and I, we'll leave them with this. Adversity, people think that adversity is a misfortune, right? Or it's a handicap. Adversity is a superpower that most people just don't understand, right? So if you take that adversity, like why is life happening to me? And understand that life is happening for you and that that adversity is going to help prepare you for down the road when you do have success. And that's something that really helped blow my businesses up because so many people go out of business because they don't know how to be frugal or they don't know how to manage money. Well, I had no other choice, right? So that adversity that people think is, you know, misfortunate or they think it's a handicap is, is definitely a bonus, man. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and a lot of times the guests that I talk to, they they have these moments where where they are they're they're really strapped for cash and they're kind of have their back to the wall and they sort of have to figure out how they're going to get there. Whereas people who are coming from the middle class, the upper class, they don't really they haven't experienced that adversity as much. They don't really understand as much what it's like to sort of need to do this. Like they they sort of they they want it, but they don't need it. Like they don't need it to support their two kids. They don't need it to support their their wife. Like but, but, but when you come from that place of adversity, I, I totally see where you're coming from on that. Yeah, absolutely. Like there is no other option. And, and we always talk like me and my close friends always talk about like it has to happen or it has to happen. And Tony Robbins says that if you want to take the island, burn the boat, right? Yeah. So many people when they start, whether it's entrepreneurship or they want to learn something new, whatever endeavor or um, new area of their life it is that they're exploring, they always are comfortable when they start and they have an option. Right. So success doesn't happen by chance. It happens by choice. So like a lot of these success stories, like you're saying, a lot of these guests have in common. There was no there was no there was no chance. Right. Like there is nothing, no other option. Right. They own the only option that they had was to succeed. You see, a lot of billionaires are from foreign countries like they came here. They didn't have anything. And I literally didn't have anything. And that adversity was my superpower. Like I was willing, like the worst that could happen is I would go back to hand sorting through trash at my temp job. Like I worked third shift, 7 p.m. to 3 a.m. And I was willing to do whatever. Like I knew like, you know, I, I wasn't educated, didn't have credit, didn't have money. Nobody in my family had money. I didn't really have any financial literacy. And even if I would have graduated, they still don't teach anything near what they need to in reference to financial literacy, like credit, how to be frugal, how to save money, what entrepreneurship is. It's all right to feel like you want to own your own business. Like in the school system, the scholastic system, they make you feel like you're an outcast, right? Or you're doing something wrong if you want to be innovative or you want to have. So I didn't have that financial literacy. Nobody in my family was an entrepreneur. And I came to find out very quickly once I was introduced into Amazon, things started to take off. All this stuff that I was like, why is this happening to me? That adversity really helped me really expand and explode my business. Yeah, that's huge. So you were doing a little bit of like tech deck hustling in, in high school and maybe middle school. When did you first get exposed to Amazon? Was that the first sort of like entrepreneurial venture you got exposed to? Were there other things that came between where we're, where we're at now and, and, and then Amazon? Yeah. So what happened is, uh, so I was working this job, right? I was mm-hmm. hustling and I was working literally 7 p.m., 3 a.m., third shift, hand sorting through trash with my bare hands. It was fucking horrible. I didn't get to see my family. Um, when I went to work, they were sleeping. When I came home, they were they were waking up. I was going to sleep. So I would I didn't even have a computer, man. I would walk to the library on my days off or before work, after work, and I would just type in ways to make money online. And I would just scounder the internet. Like podcasts wasn't huge at that time. Like four, we're talking four years ago. Um, you know, YouTube was kind of there, but there wasn't many people that were talking about a lot of stuff. And it was mainly blogs at the time. So I would just scounder the internet and try to find ways how to make money. I stumbled along like flipping stuff on eBay. They call it retail arbitrage, right? Online arbitrage. I was doing more of the retail arbitrage at the, at the time. And that's kind of like how I started like the first scratch for my itch that I had where I would go to Goodwill. I would go to Salvation Army. And on Saturdays, Sundays, they would have these clearance days. Stuff was half off. I would find designer clothing. I would iron it, take pictures, hustle it on eBay. And that was kind of like the start to it. So I, I tried a bunch of different stuff like cryptocurrency and all this other shit that was coming up and tra- uh, trading binary options, all this other stuff. It didn't work. I ended up losing my money and I didn't have a bunch of money, right? Um, so one day, and, and this is a true story actually, one day I was watching a YouTube channel 
and something came up and it was one of the suggested videos and it was something about this guy interviewing an 18 year old that's doing 10 million dollars a year so it sparked my interest I'm like fuck up at that time i was young uh, so i clicked on it i watched it and it was a gentleman by the name of brian burt and he was interviewing will tingerman right and it was will tingerman was the 10 million dollar a year uh seller now like fast forward this is actually crazy i'm on a on a, a plane coming back from click funnels uh, a click funnels event in first oh. class me and my wife and I'm sitting next to a guy who has glasses on and a hat with the inner circle shirt and I was wearing a funnel hacker shirt so we sparked conversation I started talking to him and he was like yeah I'm doing this with internet marketing and stuff I told him this whole story we were drinking champagne so I was a little wasted and I told him the story he's like do you remember the fucking video I'm like yeah I'm sure I can find it so I logged into the Wi-Fi on the plane and I, I pulled up the video and found it and he said I fucking know that asshole just like that and the guy took his hat off, took his glasses off, and he's like, that's me. Total crazy story. So that was the guy that, like, sparked everything. Like, wow, Amazon, like, this sounds like it's legitimate. It could happen. I ended up meeting him, and he lives in Austin. I just moved to Austin, bought a house, and it's a good friend and a mentor of mine. But he sparked that interest, and then I started to study and learn. There was, like, courses. All this stuff wasn't hype at that time. And uh, that led me to finding uh, Ryan Daniel Moran. He had a speech, a keynote speech. It was an hour long. And the speech title was From Zero to a Million in One Year with Amazon. And that got me started, man. And the rest is just history. I became self-taught. Uh, my first three products failed. Like, it was to the verge. Like, me and my wife were arguing because I was taking every dime that we had and throwing it into this. And I was failing and I was failing. And I would always tell my wife, listen, we have to drink water before we drink wine. Like, people are making this happen. There's a way. Like, where there's a will, there's a way. And I had already burnt the boat, right? My friends thought I was crazy. Family thought I was crazy. People were saying remarks like, listen, just be a real man. Go get a job. Stop trying to be lazy. Like, you, you know, you're trying to be less of a man by sitting on your ass and making all this money. But I knew because my dad was a, um, uh, a tile setter, right? He busted his ass his entire life. And he always told me, work with your brain, not your back. He's always on his hands and his knees working all day long. So I knew like, listen, okay, just because I was a high school dropout, didn't have any education, there has to be a better way, right? There has to be more of a way to make money. And that leads to like something that, I, that sticks with me today that I'm always talking about. Um, and it's the three pillars of success. And it stands for patience, persistence, resilience, right? Like that is like the fundamentals to success. Like, and then we talk about like mechanics and mentality, right? Like you can literally have all of the mechanics. You can give everybody the blueprint to running a multi-million dollar business but if they don't have the mechanics, if they don't have the patience, the persistence, the resilience, when an obstacle, a barrier, an objection comes, because it will come, they won't know how to handle it. Mm. That's, that's, so, that's so true. How do you go about developing those three different pillars? Let's start with persistence. How would you advise a younger listener, somebody who's maybe, I don't know, 16, 17, 18 years old, who's just getting started in the world of entrepreneurship, how can they start to, to foster that persistence and, and that ability to, to keep going and to push through things? Like when you are, are on your last, like, I don't know, few dollars trying to do Amazon, like how do you develop that persistence? Yeah, that's a great question, man. And, and why this is so important too, man, is because the mentality aspect, which I generally think is more important than the mechanics, mm -hmm. is free to develop, right? Yeah. So you need to start training, like start building up muscle memory, like daily. Catch yourself wanting to give up on small things. It doesn't have to start with business, like, oh, I can't start this mindset because I'm not a business owner. Like mm -hmm. whatever you're doing right now, start to catch yourself making small 
uh, mistakes like, oh, I'm going to give up. Fuck, this is too hard. Or, oh, man, I don't want to do this, man. It's taking too long. And start to identify that. And when you start to identify that and then make that quick adjustment, what's going to happen is you're going to start to build muscle memory. So your subconscious is going to catch yourself making that mistake every single time. Like, fuck, this isn't working. Fuck, it's taking too long. Man, I don't want to really do this, man. I want to do something else. And when you start to pick up on all these excuses, what's going to happen is your subconscious is going to build um, your muscle memory and it's going to avoid yourself from doing it. Mm, absolutely. So just like being, being conscious of when you're falling into these tendencies and being able to like catch yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's like, there's a huge difference. Like the other one, the other pillar is patience, right? So you have persistence and you have patience and they coincide with each other. They're very similar, but they're also very different. Like persistence can't, it, it does not, um, it's, it's, it doesn't exist without patience and vice versa, right? Like in order to be persistent, you have to be patient. In order to be patient, you have to be persistent, right? Mm-hmm. So they kind, of, they kind of scratch each other's back. And like you just don't want to give up. Like so many people, and I always, fall, uh, I always like to use the example of that, uh, that picture, right? Or that meme where you see the guy, uh, the one guy's got the pickaxe and he's digging through the dirt and the diamonds are like an inch away. And then you got the other guy with his head down and he's got the pickaxe on his shoulder. Like that is life, right? That is business. No matter what it is, if you want to lose weight, if you want to make more money, it's literally like that. And you have to have the three pillars. You have to be patient. You have to understand that it's not about how is this going to happen or how is this going to work, but when, right? You literally have to make that adjustment. And I'm a firm believer of just affirmations and the law of attraction and speaking things into existence. Like it takes the same amount of effort to think positive, even if you're in a negative position. Like, even if, you, if, even if you genuinely believe there is no way any positivity is going to come from your current circumstance, it takes absolutely no more effort to think positively than it does negatively. And when you release that energy, not only are you releasing that energy out into the universe, but now you're training your subconscious to believe that. And the brain works on achieving what it believes. I genuinely believe that. So I'm curious then how you think about patience and persistence when it comes to switching between different projects. Because I get a lot of people DMing me. Um, they're, they're like 18 years old. They're trying like 80,000 different business models at the same time. And they're wondering why none of them are working. And I'm like, well, you got to pick one. But it sounds like for you, you were, you, were signing, you were switching between different things. You were doing crypto. You were doing binary options. Um, what made you decide to stick with Amazon? Because it sounds like you really put all your eggs in in that Amazon basket. What made you really decide that that was the thing that deserved your patience, that deserved your persistence, and these other ventures that you've done in the past, they they didn't? Yeah, that's a fantastic question, man, because like entrepreneurs, I think all have ADD. Like people look at this ADD thing as it's bad. Like we want to do a bunch of stuff. We want to create a bunch of stuff. We want to try a bunch of stuff. And for me, it wasn't the option of like trying to manage doing multiple things. It was like at that point in time, I would try one thing, it would fucking fail or I would be too dumb to understand it, right? Like I couldn't understand how to read these charts and all this stuff and all these softwares and stuff. And I just didn't understand it or I lost my money and I was like, I just didn't feel right. Mm -hmm. So it was a combination of failing and another combination of intuition. Like when I stumbled on Amazon and I watched that video and I thoroughly listened, Like if you watch any of the old videos of Jeff Bezos, even back into 1999, like his main core was about, um, about a solution to a big problem. 
Mm-hmm. Right? Like everybody, like when I was re- watching these Forex guys, they're like, yeah, just, just learn these swings and learn this and these pips and make a bunch of money. And crypto was like, it's here and it's going to be here. Dump a bunch of money in it and you can make a bunch of money. But like the CEO, when he started out, it was solving a problem. Right? Mm-hmm. And I just, I really resonated with that. Like, man, this thing is really going to blow up because there is a problem with Walmart, right? Like I, I kind of seen it and I took note of it. And that's why I really resonated with it. And like to kind of hit on what you said about with just choosing one thing, I always like to go visual with it because I'm a visual guy. I learn visually and I like to teach visually and talk visually. So Mm -hmm. if you look at, you have a hundred percent of effort, like your entire being, your mentality, your strength, your body, everything, you have a hundred percent that you can commit to one thing. If you do two, three, four things, you're dividing that 100% by the amount of things you're doing. And I've been there. I can speak from uh, experience. Last year, you know, in, in 2017, we did several million dollars collectively. 2018, I wanted to scale, so I did more things, right? I tried to flip more homes. I tried to buy more apartments. I tried to do this. I tried to do that. And I was wearing more hats. I was doing multiple things. And what was happening is I was diverting and I was putting my effort and it was being divided into each and everything. So they were all flourishing independently, but they all came together collectively at almost the same amount of revenue as the year before, mm. right? So the year after that, we eliminated everything and we just honed in on these couple core elements that we're doing, which is real estate and Amazon and everything just started to explode. So just look at it like that. Like if you got a bucket and that bucket has a hundred gallons in it, right? Hypothetically speaking, if you put that bucket and you pour it into one thing, you're going to get all the water into to another bucket and you're going to have uh, better results. But if you have multiple buckets and you try to pour the water into multiple buckets, you're going to have smaller buckets. So that's just a real simplistic way to look at it, man. But tunnel vision, it's hard, but tunnel vision is where it's at. Absolutely. So talk to us now about you, you were in this place where you had three failed products and, and you were, you were pushing your, your wife was kind of pushing back. Um, how, how did this, this product take off and like, what did that process look like? Yeah, dude. So my first three, my three products failed. There were three totally different products and they all failed. And with each and every failure, I look at failure as not a failure, right? It's a lesson. Yeah. Right. So even though like I was getting all of this tension because this wasn't working, I was spending all my money. Everybody was looking at me like I was lazy. I was trying to like strike gold and it's a scam because everybody has a job. You know, everybody had this realistic um, conventional way of life of thinking. Right. And I was learning with each and every failure why I failed and I was making adjustments. So that fourth product, uh, this is about the time I said my, my son, Jeremiah, my youngest son was being born and. Uh, my wife still wasn't working. She got a couple hundred dollars in a check and a congratulations note uh, for us for him being born. And I took that money and I gambled it on a fourth product. I, I didn't say gamble, invested in a fourth product, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that fourth product ended up being a product to, today is one of my best products that just took off like a wildflower, like a huge brand um, ended up utilizing that product to grow their business. So I kind of got the tailwind of it when it was gaining momentum and it took off and that product netted us 700 K the first year. Wow. Yeah. So it changed our night. It changed our life significantly. And that's why like, I'll just, I'll just hit on it again, just so it resonates with whoever's listening. Like understand it's not about how it's about when, like if you genuinely believe that you'll become obsessed, right? And your obsessions, I believe become your possessions, right? 
So what you think about, you bring about like super simple. Like it was to the point where like I was crazy. People literally thought I was crazy and I was not going to give up because at the end of the day, the worst thing that could happen is what I go right back to where I was. And I was already so frustrated, so upset, so disgusted with my way of living. I was willing to do anything. Right. Absolutely. So what was, what was the differentiator there? You said it came down to a little bit of timing in terms of like somebody else was, was doing a similar thing in their business, but like, what do you think or, or what did set apart that fourth product from the first three? So it was a totally different brand. It was a completely different brand. And it was the, the lessons that I learned from the other three products, right? Mm-hmm. So these other three products, like my first product that I launched, it was under $10, right? Mm-hmm. So in order for you to be able to independently sell, it has to be over $10 or it's called an add-on item. Uh-huh. So I had this methodology that if it's light, it's cheap, right? I'm going to sell a lot of it. So I messed up with that one and it was stuck. I couldn't sell it, right? Because it was an add-on item. The second item, I thought, okay, let me look for something that everybody uses every single day. Something that doesn't matter your age. If you use it, you're going to need it. And I thought that was ingenious, right? It was actually a car charger. And I was like, yeah, this is, this is light. It's small. Everybody needs it. I'm going to strike gold. It was the most saturated product in the universe. And I couldn't even, I couldn't even get a sale. Like everybody was racing to the bottom in pricing. It had huge advertising budget budgets. And so that final product that, that took off was something that was like low hanging fruit, right? It wasn't something that everybody knew about, but it was something that everybody could use. Right. And that's where I kind of found out and stumbled upon the term of high demand, low competition and what it really was. Like there's products out there that people can use that people will use daily and that they can use throughout the year. That's not a trending product. It's not a seasonal product, right? It's not a semi-seasonal product. It's not licensed or it's not, um, you know, it's not proprietary to a company. And that's how I kind of stumbled upon it. Like this is something that everybody can use and it's not a huge brand doesn't own it and it's not semi-seasonal. And, and that's how I stumbled upon it. And then I caught the tailwind of that product just really blowing up because that large brand was exposing it. So it was a combination of the two, man. Absolutely. So how then do you go about finding these products that are high demand, low competition? Because obviously, if everybody knew how to find these types of products, they would be high demand, high competition. So what are some, what are some ways that listeners can go about um, finding, finding opportunities like this? I mean, it, 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 clearly there's not just like a one size fits all answer, but like what are some, what are some strategies that listeners can begin to implement? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll hit this on two different angles. First off, I'll start by saying that the 1% has what the 99% does not because the 1% is willing to do what the 99% does not. Yep. And it ties into patience, persistence, resilience. Like now having literally over a thousand students in 63 plus different countries, I get to talk and see like, what is the differentiating factor between those that find winning products and those that give up or quit or find losing ones. And it always comes back to the mentality. What happens is when you set a standard for something that you want to find, and you lack patience and you lack persistence, you start to settle for less results. Like, and this works with everything, not only with Amazon. Like if you, if you want to lose a certain amount of weight, right. And you feel like, Oh shit, this is hard. I, I, I got to stop eating this. I got to stop drinking this. I got to work out. I got to do this. You're like, Oh, you know what? If I do half as good, then I'm happy. It's better than where I would start. Mm-hmm. And that's what a lot of people use that same mentality with their product research. So they start with a certain standard. For instance, 
we like to recommend finding a product that sells 10 units a day that can profit $10 per unit. That, that equates to about 280 to 300 units, right? You can make 2,800 to $3,000. That's a very good starting point, right? You can replace your job, supplement your job, create some income. But then after a week goes by and you don't find that product, and you're like, oh, if I just find something with three or four or four sales a day, it's better than nothing, right? Mm -hmm. And they give up on that. So that's the first half of it. The second half of it is um, you have to really escape the competition. Peter Thiel, the co-founder of PayPal, uh, says that they were able to explode their business by thinking outside the box and by escaping the competition. Well, if everybody's teaching that you want to find uh, shoes, uh, products that can fit in a shoebox, that are lightweight and small, like when I did when I first failed, that's gonna be saturated. All those small products are gonna be saturated. So think outside the, the norm and use non-conventional methods, right? So think about oversized products. Think about products that uh, when you're out uh, shopping or you're out walking around that you may see that may, uh, spark, um, may spark something, you may go home and search that. So there's so many different non-conventional methods um, in order to find products. So just think outside the box and be different. That's so true. And, and a lot of times I think it's more important to think about why someone is telling you something than what they're actually telling you. So if somebody's telling you like you should, yeah, look for products that like fit in a shoebox and that are super light, like think about why they're saying that and like the implications of them saying that, like if this is somebody who has millions of, of followers on social media, then think about, okay, millions of people just saw this message. What then can I do that that is going to allow me to find success based on what they're saying, but like what, just like thinking about the broader picture and not just taking everything at face value, I guess is what I'm going for with that. Yeah, absolutely, man. So how much, this is a question that I get all the time. And like, obviously I don't sell on Amazon. I, I briefly got into it for a little bit, but I don't sell on Amazon anymore. So a question that I'm getting all the time is like, how much money does it take to realistically get started with FBA? Um, what is your like cookie cutter response to that? Or like, what do you typically tell people when they ask you that? Yeah, great question, man. So th this all falls back to like escaping the competition, like the standardized robotic uh, response is that, you know, you're going to want two to three thousand dollars, you're going to want to launch one to two months worth of inventory, mm -hmm. because you don't want to run out of stock, right? That's like the whole robotic thing. Yep. That's also the very risky thing. Like when we're starting out, most people are starting out, they're starting out like when I started out, they have little to no money. They may have some reserve, they may have a decent job, but they want to supplement or replace their income. So putting two to $3,000 into one product and crossing your fingers and hoping and praying it works is very risky, right? Can it work if you do your due diligence and you do, you do everything? Yeah, has a lot of people launched that way? Of course. The new way, the way that I recommend, one of the ways that I recommend starting out, which is limiting your risk and maximizing reward is by called, I call it micro launching, right? Hmm. So what we do is we do our due diligence. We make sure that these products aren't patented. They're not trending. They're not se uh, seasonal, right? And we do all of our due diligence and we track our competitors to see what they're selling each and every day and each and every month. And then we launch a fraction, Right. And so if we, if, if, if normally we would launch one to 2000 units, I've launched two to 300. So what this is allowing me to do is this is allowing me to verify and validate that product with a lot less barrier to loss, right? With a lot less uh, loss receptive. And it's also allowing me to possibly try to launch two to three other products. So if I was going to put a thousand dollars in one product, but I put 300 into three, right? Or 350 into three, I can mi micro launch three products. And what's going to happen? I'm going to triple my chances of succeeding. Two may fail, but one may succeed. 
right? And if I don't do it with three different products or four different products, I'm cutting my losses on that one product. Now, you may be saying that sounds ludicrous because you're going to run out of inventory and it takes 30 days to get your product. It's not about the front end. And Russell Brunson, you know, like I'm a huge advocate for investing money in personal development. I yeah. do each and every year with masterminds, courses. I fly all around the world. And Russell Brunson told me this one thing that really stuck with me. And he said that amateurs monetize the front end, experts monetize the back end. Mm. So, so many people are trying to monetize the front end and have this perfect launch and have everything and have the perfect amount of pro uh, product. Number one, you have to understand that perfectionism leads to procrastination. So whenever everything tries to be perfect, usually it's never going to be, or you're never going to get started. And number two, like all your eggs are in one basket. And what happens is if this doesn't really have that depth that you thought and it doesn't take off the way that you did or you thought it would, now you've got all your money tied up and you've got a bad taste in your mouth and you're what? Screw this, right? Resilience. Because resiliency hits in and you're like, screw this. I've already fucked up. I just started this. How do I get some of my money back? But if you micro launch this and you see that this thing takes off, you can immediately back order and ship it by air. Now, that shipment that's coming in may be break even, but guess what? You're not going to run out of stock. You know this product is a winner, and you'll have enough time to send that third shipment by C, which will be profitable. So you didn't monetize the front end. You may have broken even or profited a little bit, but you verified and validated that product, eliminated your risk, maximized your reward, and now on the back end, you'll be able to invest all of, all of your eggs without worrying about losing them. So that's a strategy that I recommend. Mm, that's huge. And that's something that I, having talked to, to dozens of people in the FBA space, something that I've never heard before. So I think that's a really, really valuable piece of information that you just provided right there. Yeah, for sure, man. It's something that's all about escaping the competition. Like, and, and what I'm constantly trying to do is like, listen, no, nobody likes volatility. I don't like risk. I don't like, you know, crossing my fingers and hoping things work. That's why stocks weren't for me. Binary options weren't for me. Cryptocurrency, I hated it. A lot of people make a shitload of money doing it. It just wasn't for me. So, and that's why I like Amazon. That's why I like real estate. Like if you really do your due diligence, if you really uh, take your time and, and, and analyze your moves, like it's very, very, very hard to lose. Absolutely. So talk to us now about that expansion into real estate. Uh, clearly, if you were netting $700,000 on this first product, you had, some, you had some capital to work with. So what made you want to get into real estate with that? Yeah, so I grinded it out for a whole year. So that first year we did uh, we did almost three quarters of a million, a little under seven fifty. The next year we went to two point two million, and that was the year we were able to uh, get into real estate. I always knew that I wanted to get into real estate because, like, if you ever looked at anybody who had any money and you you heard them talk or you asked them what they do, it was always real estate, real estate development, apartments, you know, so on and so forth. So I always knew that's something I wanted to do. Um, when we were dead broke, actually, I took advantage of a friend. It's a funny story. Uh, I took advantage of a friend. A friend was uh, buying and selling real estate at the time, a close friend of ours. And um, her realtor, I linked up with her realtor and she didn't really know us. And I told her, yeah, you know, I'm waiting. I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting an inheritance for some money and I want to start, you know, looking at property, so on and so forth. I didn't have a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of. I didn't know what credit was or how the hell I would get it. Um, this lady actually ended up walking me through a hundred properties that year. I didn't buy one. Didn't ask me for a, a proof of funds. Didn't ask me for a letter or anything because she was a close family uh, friend, right? Of, of, of a close friend of mine. But I knew that if I could see it, touch it, smell it and see it and become familiar with it, that it, it wasn't about when 
It was about how I would be able to purchase real estate. So fast forward into to the question, she's actually my agent today and we've bought and sold over a million dollars of real estate with her. So it was worth her sticking with me, right? And every time I would walk through these apartments, I'm like, oh, this just isn't the one. And I'm like, fuck, this one's perfect. But I just didn't have the money, didn't have the credit. So I took all of my money. I was very frugal. I invested all of the money that we, that we got from the business, put it back into the business. A big mistake a lot of people want to do is as soon as they start to see some money come in, they want to increase their overhead. They want to buy the car. They want to buy the house, the clothes. Like the number one thing that I can recommend is as soon as your business starts to take off, invest that money. Like don't hold it in your bank. Invest that money. Pour it back into the business and get it where it needs to be, right? So I did that and then I took all the, the dividends from that and I rolled it into real estate. I started off with uh, flips, right? So I didn't start off with apartments because I didn't want to tie all that money up, all that capital. So I started with flips and we were doing, you know, four to five flips a year. And then the following year is when we really went in, which was last year was when we really went in uh, hard with real estate. So we purchased 32 apartments in one year and we were accumulating about one flip per month. Um, and I love it because it's recession proof. Like I like things with not a lot of volatility. Like we're not talking about a grade condominiums on, on Miami beach, right? These are like lower C grade, uh, entry level apartments, entry level homes that people with, uh, first time home buyers are going to need, right? People who have decent jobs are going to need to rent and it's recession proof. Like if there's a recession, who cares? Because people are going to need a place to live. And if they, if they sell their house because they're living in a four or $500,000 house, they're going to downsize their house. So my sweet spot was like the lower end homes and the one to 200,000 when we did flips and my rentals were all C grade because I feel that it's recession proof, man. It's, it's, it's worked out phenomenal. Huh. Did you have any mentors in the real estate space that were sort of helping you through this process or was it really just like trial and error and just like doing all your, all your own research? Yeah, man. So believe it or not, like I didn't have anybody, like nobody in my family did this. I didn't know anything about it. I knew I wanted to do it. And I just like scoundered the internet for knowledge. Uh, at the time, uh, this guy named Phil Pustiaski was huge. Um, and I just literally just did all the research I could. And it's all a numbers game, right? Like success is math. It's that simple. Like, what does it take to start something? How much do you need to invest to do something? What do you want to get from a return that's realistic? That was the whole thing. So I understood like simple math. Like if I could buy a home for this price and I could sell it for this price, and I knew about how much I needed to put into it. I would, I would be able to make that work. So this is something like so many people think like to get started in real estate, you have to have a background in real estate or a father or a mother or a mentor, or you have to have construction experience. Like, and this is the same thing I tell people with Amazon. Like I tell people with Amazon, listen, your manufacturer is your best friend. They're going to help you find products. They're going to help you save money. Um, your realtor is your best friend, right? Like if you don't know the ARV, the after rehab values of homes and you want to flip your first home, get with the realtor and really critique. Make sure it's somebody that you connect with. Make sure that it's somebody that's an authoritative figure in, the, in that industry who has some time underneath their belt and just tell them, listen, I have some money. This is what I want to do. I don't know how to do the numbers and they'll break everything down for you. And if they don't know, if they don't know those questions, what are the ARV stuff like that? Uh, what is the ROI? Then you don't need to deal with them. Right. So just, just mm. make sure that you, uh, that you look for the right person to deal with. That's very true. If you've got people in your corner, you want to make sure that they are the most knowledgeable people possible because you want to have them helping you make the best decisions possible. That's for sure. Absolutely, man. 
So talk to us now about that, that process of building credit. You mentioned a couple of times that going into this, your credit was just not great. So how were you able to, to build up your credits and really have lenders want to give you money? Yeah, awesome. So, so actually, I had no credit, and no credit is just as bad as bad credit, right? Yeah. Because I had no financial literacy. Nobody told me. The school system didn't tell me. And when I started, we were making so much money. I bought all the properties cash. Wow. Um, I didn't, which was asinine. I wouldn't recommend anybody yeah. doing it now because there's no reason to, but I didn't know about that process. And that kind of goes back to what I was saying. Like, listen, if you don't know what you're doing, just talk to somebody, figure it out, get it started. I lived in a small town about an hour outside of Chicago in Indiana. There was no people that were really doing, you know, hard, hardcore real estate flips and stuff like that. So I, there was nobody I could really talk to. So the realtor told me that I would need to get credit one day, right? Mm -hmm. um, and what she told me, she really got me started on the right path was about secured and non-secured cards. So for anybody who may say, you know what, I don't have credit right now because nobody told me about it. That's just as bad as having a bankruptcy or bad credit, right? Yeah. So the easiest way to start is to start with a secured credit card. And a secured credit card, you can get one through um, Capital One. I think there's a couple other companies that have one, but Capital One's a good one. And you basically use your own funding as your credit line. So they'll start with 200 or 500 bucks and whatever you have, you can put that in there and then just utilize that. And it's going to go off the same guidelines. So I'm not a financial advisor or a finance guy, but I can tell you this just from my own experience, like keep your utilization low. If you get this thing, hope like don't even use it. Don't even act like you have it. Just get it and use 10% and less. Use it for stuff that you're going to buy anyway, like sandwich for lunch or for gas and pay it off immediately and leave a small balance. That way they can see you're responsible. You're paying off your balance. You're not over utilizing it. Right. And what's going to happen is typically after six months of utilizing 10 to 15 percent or less paying everything on time, they're going to go ahead and they're going to extend an offer to you for a secured credit card, which is the big boy credit card, which let's say you started with the 200 secured. They bump you up to 500. Now with the secure, they may give you a thousand or they may give you 750. And same rules apply. Like don't even use that thing. Like just use 10%, 15%, pay it all off, uh, leave a small balance, and just keep just keep moving and moving and moving. Um, you can also use credit. Um, um, some credit uh, credit bureaus. What is it? Um, credit builder loans. Yeah, like uh, credit unions. Oh yeah. Credit, some small credit unions also offer the same thing. You can go in there with any amount of money, you can start it up and they're going to start reporting to the different bureaus and it's definitely going to help build your credit up. Mm, absolutely. And it's just so important to get that going as early as possible. I know I started building my credit basically the day I turned 18. And, and now as a 20 year old, um, I've got a very decent credit score. I've gotten thousands of dollars in free travel and I haven't paid a single penny in interest. So like credit can be such a beneficial tool for you, but like they don't tell you about it in school. And it's something that you really have to go out there and like seek that information yourself if you want to um, go out there and be able to, to apply that in your own life. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll just add this, add to this too, because you said there's a lot, um, a younger audience, like some of you guys may be listening and you want to start and say, Hey, you know, I want to do real estate in the future, or I want to do e-commerce and I want to utilize credit so I can help grow or start my business. I just don't have the money to get a secured credit card or excuse me, a non-secured credit card. What do I do? And like your network determines your network. So mm -hmm. everybody listening has a mother, has a father, has a sister, has a brother, has a grandfather, has a grandmother, has a friend, somebody who has a credit card. And you ask them and genuinely say something like this, short, simple, and sweet. 
hey, listen, I'm really trying to build my credit up. I heard this podcast. This guy said to get a non-secured credit card. I just don't have the $200 to start. Um, is there a way that you can add me onto your credit limit or onto your credit card account and keep the card? Don't even give me the card. I don't even want the card. Shred the card, put it in your safe, put it in your lockbox. I just want to start developing my credit so that when I come, come up on the extra amount of money, I can do this and I'll be ahead of the game. So just by somebody putting you as an authorized user, it will help your credit, right? They don't even need to give you the card. So just ask your mom, ask your dad, ask your friend, ask the relative and say, hey, listen, this is super important for me and what I want to do in my future. Could you do this for me? You have nothing to lose, literally nothing to lose because I'm never going to ask you for the card. And if I do, tell me no, right? <laughs> and then on the flip side, like if anybody's listening and you're older and you have children like I do, like set them up for success. Like you can get, you can get children on your preferred card, right? You can get them on your accounts. So my oldest son is going to be 11 years old when he's going to be a teenager. By the time he's 18, he's going to have a seven and 800 score because he's on all of my cards. He's on, they're on all of my, all of my loans. Now, if you're not where you want to be, don't do this because it can hurt them. But if you're yeah. where you want to be, definitely start setting them up for success early on. That's huge. And, and like you said, I've got buddies who have credit lines older than they are because their parents added them onto cards that are like, like 20, 25 years old. And now these kids have like solid established credit bases and they didn't have to do anything. And I think that's really, really key that you touched on that. And it's a strategy that I recommend a lot to people we're just trying to get started. And again, it's really important though, to make sure that like the person that's adding you has a legit, like good history, good payment history, good utilization, because again, it can help you, but it can also hurt you. Like if they add you to a card that they're like defaulting on, that they're going into collections on, like that can really, really mess you up. So you got to make sure this is a person you trust. And this is a person who, you know, what their financial situation is like, and you know that they're not going through some tough stuff because that could really, really have some negative repercussions on you. If you're not careful about that. Absolutely. hundred percent. Definitely do your due diligence. Make sure it's somebody you trust. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I've got some questions for you, Joshua, that I'd like to ask all of my guests before we wrap up the show. Are you feeling ready for those? Yeah, let's do it, man. Awesome. So the first thing I'm curious about is what is something that genuinely has Joshua Crisp excited right now? Like what is something could be in your business, could be in the world of Amazon FBA, real estate, but like what's something that genuinely has you excited? Yeah, so actually, uh, something that I'm doing, and I made a post um, on Instagram the other day, and it was basically like this, don't make the same mistake I made. Like, everybody's so caught up in making money that they neglect other important things. Like, for me, I neglected, like, the first years of my son being born. I neglected my health, right? So something I'm super excited about now, like, I eliminated all uh, sugar, I eliminated all red meat, all pork, I'm working out two times a day. I'm drinking a gallon of water a day. So I'm, I'm generally excited about my health because that's going to help the longevity of my life. I'm going to be able to spend more time with my kids. So that's something like I can tell you guys, like if you guys are out there hustling, like be relentless, become obsessed, but don't be negligent. And don't be negligent of the things that matter. Like if you guys have children, even if you have to do eight, 10, 15 hours a day to grind in the beginning, which you do, don't forget about your kids. And even if you don't have kids and you're grinding and you're trying to build something, you need that obsession. You need that relentlessness, but do not neglect your health because health minus wealth is nothing. That's the truth. You can't take your Lambo with you once you die. Right. <laughs> don't Absolutely. want to be the richest guy in the graveyard. Uh, Joshua, what, uh, what habits do you have? I mean, you mentioned a couple just now, um, with, with exercise and, and with drinking water and such. Um, but what, what habits do you have could be in your business and your lifestyle that have helped you get to that next level? 
Oh man, where do I start with this? So <laughs> I'm like, I'll give you guys like a super quick hack really quick. And then I'll right. go into this. Um, number one, like I'm a huge advocate of essential oil diffusers. Like I keep it, I've got one right next to my desk. Um, <laughs> utilize some grape, uh, some grapefruit. It definitely helps with the clarity, helps with your mood, everything like that. That's a little hack. Um, another productivity hack that I do that's helped me out is just mainly focusing on milestones. And I'll go into it briefly. Like this could be an hour combo right here, but <laughs> people don't understand the differentiating factor between milestones and goals, right? You ask somebody, where do you want to be? And they tell you this massive goal, like it's a 10 year plan, right? But there's nothing in between. So I always, cause I like to paint pictures. I like to visualize stuff. So look at milestones as stairs and the top of the stairs that landing right before you get in the door being your goal. So something I'm continuously doing is I'm continuously setting up milestones. And I definitely recommend that you guys do this in your personal life and your business. So a milestone is something small, something that needs to be accomplished today, right? Something that needs to be accomplished this week that's gonna help me propel forward and gain momentum. And this is the key. Make sure that you write it down and you give it a big fat check mark or a cross or you scribble it out or something like that. When you do that, enable yourself to reward yourself. Now, don't, um, you know, don't give yourself uh, five hours of product research and then go and buy a Rolex. Like, don't reward yourself something crazy like that or don't cut the beef out for a week and then go buy a Lambo, right? Give yourself a reward, a small reward. Maybe it's an hour of watching your favorite TV show. Maybe it's an hour of playing video games, right? Maybe it's ordering that t-shirt that you've been wanting. Something small. And what's going to happen is when you start accomplishing this thing, number one, you're going to gain momentum, right? You're going to gain momentum towards your end goal. And number two, when you reward yourself, it's going to feel good. And you're going to associate every time you cross something off or you, you finish something with the reward and it's going to help you get closer to that end goal. That's where a lot of people mess up. And that's something that's helped me really propel milestones. Mm, that's huge. And that distinction between a milestone and a goal is something that I don't personally put enough time into, into thinking about and really distinguishing between the two. But I think that's really, really valuable. Yeah. Like, like so many people try to make drastic changes. Like if you can implement one thing every day to just improve 1%, right? Even if you percent, even if you improve 1% a month, that's 12% a year in 10 years, you've doubled right where you're at currently the compound interest on, on that is is absolutely insane and it's small stuff like so many people when they look at these goals that they're writing these milestones that they're writing they're huge goals right like where i want to be at in 10 years or where i want to be at in five years or how much money i want to make like what's your goal with amazon i want to make 100k a year what are the milestones what are the steps leading up to 100k a year it may start something like this get your mind right right Understand that it's not about how, it's about when. Understand that there's going to be objections, barriers, right? Number two, start the product research. Number three, and this is with weight loss or anything else that you're doing, like have little milestones that you can crush. Like I don't care if you like start out your milestones so simple to where it's like do 10 push-ups a day, right? Do an extra 100 steps, right? Say I love you to your children. Say I love you to your wife five more times for the day. Simple things that you know that you can crush and you're gonna gain momentum. Every single day you're gonna look at this list, man, I'm knocking these out, I'm knocking these out. And that's gonna propel you towards your larger goal, which is uh, a happier life, a more abundant life, a more prosperous life, more money in your account, more whatever it is, those small things are gonna help you gain momentum. Mm. 
That's the truth. Joshua, I know you're putting out a fair bit of content on your social media platforms right now. Is there any content you're consuming? Could be books, audiobooks, podcasts, YouTube channels. Oh man, another good one. So I actually, I've got one right here uh, on my desk right here. It's by Vernie uh, Harnish. It's called Scaling Up. Hmm. Um, and what that book about is, is that book's about scaling, right? Scaling in your business and the right way to scale. So many people think with business that scaling is just adding more employees, adding more ad spend, adding more products, whatever it is. There's a whole mythology as to the correct way of scaling, right? And running a business and growing a business. And that's just something that I neglected. Like I built this thing like caveman style, just working like a madman around the clock. I didn't know anything like we were wearing a bunch of hats. So like a piece of advice, I would say check out that book. Um, if, if you have a business and you want to take it to the next level, but ultimately, if you have a business now that's starting or you want to start a business, be organized. Like the best piece of advice I can give you because it will bite you in the butt in the back end is if you're not organized. Like every little expense, write it down. Every piece of money that you make, make sure you keep track of it, right? Make sure you know where things are coming, where things are going. And it, it may be a clusterfuck at the beginning and it may drive you crazy, but the more you know your numbers, the more easier it's going to be able to grow that business and scale that business. Mm. Um, in reference to content, so um, that, that's pretty much what I'm doing right now, but I like, I like the Russell Brunson. I like um, Joe Polish. I'm more into the older school guys, so uh, a little bit of everything, but that's what I'm actually consuming right now. Um, I'm pretty much looking at like companies that came – and scaled and how they did it right because like being complacent in business is something that you don't want like there's good growth and there's bad growth right so that's the main thing that I'm looking at right now is trying to reverse engineer some businesses and how they're able to scale how they're able to grow and this is a book that actually Brian recommended I mentioned him earlier that it's my mentor the guy with the story that I met uh, and he recommended that book to me man so it's a killer book that's wild, dude. That is, that's, that's so blows my mind, blows my mind. Um, so you've been dropping some ridiculous, ridiculous value on our listeners, Joshua. Uh, where, where can they go if they want to follow up with you? If they want to learn more about you, what you're currently up to right now, more about Amazon FBA, all of that good stuff. Where is the best place for them to follow up with you at? Yeah, absolutely. So you can follow me on any social media site at Joshua Crisp. It's at official Joshua Crisp on Instagram. Um, you can check me out on YouTube. There's 100 plus videos absolutely free. That's Joshua Crisp. You can also check out the website at uh, www.officialjoshuacrisp.com. Or if you want to learn more about uh, Amazon and how you can get started the same way I did, you can check out www.amzatoz.com. Awesome. I will be sure to link up all of those in the show notes for our listeners. Joshua, again, thank you so much for your time. Do you have any last closing thoughts, words of wisdom, or anything you want to close out the show with here today? Yeah, absolutely, man. Like if you take anything, I know I rambled a little bit all over the place on this episode. If you take anything, man, really resonate with the three pillars of success, patience, persistence, resilience. Understand that your current situation is not your final destination. Keep your eye on the end result and not where you're at currently. Understand that life happens for you and not to you. Stop being the victim. Stop blaming yourself. Stop worrying when it's going to change and start focusing on the milestones that you need to get you out of your current positioning. And just, just really, really believe in yourself, man, because anything that you believe you can achieve. Mm. 
Preach on it. Joshua, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you choosing to spend it here on Young Smart Money. I appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to this episode of Young Smart Money. If you want to support the show, you can do so in three different ways. You can subscribe, you can leave me five, and you can share this episode with a friend. To subscribe, all you got to do is click the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts. To leave me five, all you got to do is scroll all the way down to the bottom of the podcast's page for Young Smart Money and click on the write a review button. And to share with a friend, all you got to do is screenshot yourself listening to this episode, post on your Instagram story, tag me, and I'll be sure to repost it in my Instagram story as well. I love giving you guys some attention who are listening to the show. Thanks for listening and I'll see you in the next one.